Time, the Hyper Time 2 podcast. And we are back with season two of Hyper Time to podcast and doing a episode on probably one of the more controversial comic stories in the past 20 years. And before we get into that, let me introduce the other man who is going to go down this road with me, Alan Muir. Alan, how are you? I, I didn't know this was, this was the season, season season premiere. Yeah, I think this is going to be the first episode for season two. Name-wise, it kind of works. Uh, what it leads into would probably be a better uh, starter for season two, but we're not going to talk about that. So, so I just figured let's go ahead and do this one. It's There's a lot of info, info, blah, 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 I cannot talk information out there on this uh, comic arc. So I thought it would be a good one to talk about and people have opinions on it. <laughs> so I thought it might be a fun one to talk about. Yeah. I, I owned the trade, the trade paperback because I just saw it and thought it, Hey, Spider-Man. <laughs> and I threw that out because it got, well, let's just say it got ruined. Mm. So I I went and read the said story through issue by issue on Marvel Unlimited. And this was your first time reading it, right? Yeah. So have you heard I, of all the complaints about this story before before you read it? Yeah, yes, but I had forgotten a lot of them. And I went into this with absolutely zero context. And I'm not a fan of JMS. The only thing he did that I enjoyed was the World War Z movie. Oh, was that him? He was. He worked on one of the. I think it was. He worked on one one of the scripts. Huh. Or screenplays. I half expected you to say Babylon. Was it Babylon Five? But I was like, wait. I don't even know if that's one of the series I own. I've never seen Babylon Five. But I keep hearing that it's the uh, Deep Space Nine, which I love to death, is rip- is ripping off or has ripped off Babylon Five mm. because they're both space uh, space station based. Yeah, I assume Babylon. Oh my God, I cannot talk today. I assume Babylon Five was like right up your alley, so I imagined you had already watched it. But if you haven't, maybe you need to. Uh, based off this, uh, no. <laughs> well, in case anyone can't read uh, what the episode title is, uh, we are discussing the Spider-Man story One More Day, um, which, as I mentioned, is probably one of the more controversial stories in the past 20 years. Not a lot of people like it, and for good reason. And so, as... I'm I'm very curious, Alan, since this is your first time reading it and kind of you're kind of separated from a lot of Marvel stuff. So I'm curious, kind of like as in mostly an outsider perspective on 
you know, Marvel reading where you stand with this series. Okay. So I, I like, I really like Joe Casada's art. His I, art it, it's hit it or miss for me. <laughs> there are definitely some panels where it looks like people have tumors, like growing out of their chins and stuff. But I think more often than not, I like it more than I dislike it. Yeah. Yeah. There are certain, yeah, certain panels that look good and certain panels that feel that look like they're still based in the nineties. Mm-hmm. And as I, as I said, I went in this with no context. So I had no idea why said character had that happen to them, but the main like whole ramifications. I was watching a sci-fi wire interview with Dan Slott. Mm-hmm. And there was a, I don't know if it was a, I'm not sure. I think it was a summit or some, some type of creative meeting. And he wanted to kill off uh, J. Jonah, Jonah Jameson's uh, father. Oh, mm-hmm. who, who was married to M.A. at that time. And he, he, he said like, or he said he heard it. He heard, no. <laughs> and it was Mark Wade who had created that said character. Oh. And it's like, it's like the people create these characters that they want to see like live on past them. I mean, I can see like, and something that Donnie Cates, I was watching another one with him. It, it was about, it was more of his recent stuff. Like, Thanos, Venom, and the first, and he he said he walked into this creative uh, summit and said he just said, "I want to do John Wick in space," and dance and dance lot yelled no, <laughs> like as a as a reader would, or I think he I think I think a bunch of people like everyone was against it, and J- Jason Aaron was the one who said who basically just said. The way you're all you you're all reacting is why we should do it, and that I'm not going to say what the a space version of John Wick is, but I think if you know, you know. <laughs> I have an idea, but I'm not positive. Um, okay, so uh, I'll just it has to do with characters that live on a on a moon. Okay. I do a not dark, know what it is then. <laughs> a dark side of the moon. Hmm. Come on, think about it. Marvel dog. Oh, really? Have you? You haven't? You, wait, you haven't seen John Wick? I've seen. Yeah, I've seen John Wick, but who? Who is the most famous dog in Marvel comics? I'm. Tr- I didn't realize they did like a story similar to it, though. Yeah. Um... Huh. I might have to go look that up. <laughs> yeah. While you're talking, I'll f- find the, uh, I'll just put, put an image in, in the general chat of said character. Okay. So yeah, since, since you brought up the summit, let's go ahead and get into kind of how the whole story of one more day began. So, 
Joe Kusada was very open about his dislike of the Mary Jane and Peter Parker marriage. He never liked it. Um, he is on record many, many times explaining how it was too much of a divergence from what the original character originally was. Um, and he did not like that. So Kusada thought that putting a ring on Peter removed too many of the social elements that made the stories great, whether it was the sexual tension with Black Cat or Peter just no longer being the single nerd um, that he was when he was created. And, you know, that would put him in situations where he was surrounded by married people and it would leave different interactions with said people open. Uh, but in the end, he felt that too much of the drama that made Peter's life interesting was just nowhere near as prevalent with him being married. Didn't want to have that soap opera feel of Spider-Man removed. And that is kind of what the marriage had done, at least in Kusada's eyes. Um, so when he became editor-in-chief, he had the idea that when he had the chance, he was going to find a way to end the marriage. And so in 2005, during one of the summits, that chance came up and Joe Kusada capitalized on it. And so he followed up on this whole idea with much of his staff at the time uh, during the summit, such as J. Michael Straczynski. Oh, my God. J. Michael Straczynski, Brian Michael Bendis, Mark Miller, Jeff Loeb, Tom Bravort, and Axel Alonzo. So all of them were kind of in the know when all this was coming down. And then, so that's kind of where it started. And then this would carry over to the following summit, which would also include Ed Brubaker and Dan Slott. And all the while, these creators were pitching different ideas until the story began to form into what they thought could work. And it was J. Michael Straz... Oh my God, I'm just going to say JMS. <laughs> that will make it so much easier for me. So it was JMS that came up with the idea of one single decision being made to change it all, but leave everything else intact. So they decided to push the snowball that would eventually be one more day down the cliff by starting Civil War and unmasking Spider-Man, something that was decided by editorial that JMS didn't really like at the time. And so once all the pieces were on the table, everything was thrown to the creators. JMS would get to work on one more day, and then the brand new team, uh, brand new day team, would start work on the future of Spider-Man, which was Dan Slott. But, as many decisions go, this led to some problems between J JMS and Joe Kusada in terms of the decisions being made. So, after all this was done, JMS received a lot of criticism for some of his work on Spider-Man. The biggest two that come to mind are both, Alan, have you read Sin's Past? No. Do you know about Sin's Past? Uh, I think I've heard about it. Is that <laughs> the one where Norman Osborn has secret kids with Gwen Stacy? That is it, yes. So, both that storyline and One More Day are kind of the two standout moments from JMS's run that people point to as like, we hate what you're doing with Spider-Man. However, he I, did I, remark. I, oh, sorry. I was, I was expecting it to be, we hate, we hate you. <laughs> I 
I'm sure a not, lot. Not, not, <laughs> yeah, not just we hate your work, we hate you. I mean, I think, I think, I mean, this just says everything about who I am as a comic, like my identity as a comic reader. I don't own any JMS Marvel books, hmm. but but I own Superman Earth One, which he did. Yeah, I will say this: I liked quite a bit of his Spider-Man run for the most part. I think he had a good scene, especially after the Civil War unmasking, where Peter basically goes up to Kingpin. And they kind of have a big old punch out fight uh, in one issue. Um, him addressing J. Jonah Jameson was pretty good as well. So there are definitely moments that I really enjoyed in his arc. But then you do run across instances like Sins Past in One More Day where it's like, mm, no, then no, you there's did not. Also, there's also, I mean, I'm not, this isn't just things that are bad this is just bad timing or bad bad luck uh his before watchman story mm-hmm. that joe kubert was supposed to was supposed to work on but passed away halfway through mm-hmm. which i think um i think either adam or andy kubert ended up working on it i think or i think they both worked on it as like an honor honoring their father mm. Because of how like comics typically work is that people will attack the person whose name is on the cover, but on his message boards, JMS wanted to clear some air about specifically since past and one more day. And he said that most of the things that people had a problem with in those stories came from Joe Cusada. Um, so for instance, the Gwen Stacy kids thing was meant to be Peter's kids, not Norman's. Kusada is the one who changed it. Um, he didn't like that Peter was married, and he sure as hell didn't like the idea that Peter had kids. So, poof, they were Norman's kids. JMS was also against the idea of One More Day, but would be pushed to do it by Kusada. So much so that he wanted to have his name removed on the final two issues of the story. From JMS's standpoint, he had been in Kusada's shoes and had to make decisions like he did over the original intent of writers on previous things he's worked on. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. So he didn't want to throw Kusada under the bus by removing his name and decided to roll with it and just give his best shot and make it the story work. However, according to Kusada, when they received JMS's scripts, it didn't resolve in the way that they had hoped. They already had brand new day stuff in the works and for brand new day to start where it did, one more day couldn't end in the way that JMS intended. So for Kusada, he would have to screw up a year's worth of story planning to fit in JMS's original scripts or have JMS rewrite a handful of scripts. So Kusada made the call and JMS rewrote the ending to suit brand new day. This was also a cause for many of the delays with the book as well. Another argument that Kusada made is in regards to how big of the change JMS's original scripts were. According to Kusada, JMS's ending not only goes against much of what was already canonical in Marvel in terms of science, but it also would have reset many things outside of Spider-Man as well and affected the Marvel Universe as a whole on a grander scope, which is not something he wanted to do. He wanted to try and rein it in to only affect Spider-Man's 
comics, essentially. Another thing that Kusada notes is that the marriage would still have ended. Kusada, JMS, and everyone originally mentioned at the beginning were all part of this, the decisions being made to Spider-Man. One of those decisions was ending the marriage in one more day. So at the end of the day, Peter and Mary Jane still would have been separated after one more day. The only difference would have been how they ended it. However, had JMS been able to get through the story he wanted, it would have been different, essentially. He wanted Peter to make the choice not marry Jane. He wanted issue one of One More Day to take place immediately after Aunt May was shot. Instead, it was put off so they could do four issues back to back. He even wanted to retcon out the Gwen Stacy children from continuity during this time because he always thought that he would be able to and was left receiving criticism for a story that he didn't want to tell in the first place. And so Jameis did kind of have a, did kind of bring up kind of what his whole original script was and the problems he had with the changes that Kusada had made. The biggest problem with the script came during the work done in issue three. It was at that point that JMS had turned in his script for issue four, but Bravewort, Alonzo, and Kusada all realized that it was different than what they thought it would be. What was discussed at the summits was not here, and it wasn't because JMS didn't remember. It was because he had a specific story he wanted to tell. However, because the brand new day stuff was underway, there were contradictions that would lead to greater problems. And so Kusada explains the original script pretty simply, saying, In his story, Mephisto was going to change continuity from as far back as issues 96 to 98 from 1971. In Joe's story, this is JMS, Peter drops the dime on Harry, and that helps him get into rehab right away. Consequently, MJ stays with Harry, and Gwen never dies, and never has her affair with Norman, etc., etc., and in the end, Peter and MJ are never married. So that is essentially how JMS was going to do the story. For Kusada, however, the changes going this far back were ultimately too problematic to allow. Not only does it discount many of the stories that would happen post-1971, but many of the things that happened in general in the Marvel Universe. During the summits, the pitch was essentially, one thing happened to stop the wedding. Mephisto would make people forget Peter's unmasking during Civil War. And lastly, Harry would return. <laughs> JMS would read Kusada's interview where he mentions all of this and illustrates the bit of cognitive dissonance with his approach, though. And so, Alan, I don't know if you want to uh, help me out here and we can just kind of uh, bounce in between each person. Yeah. Do you want to be JMS or do you want to be Joe Kusada? <laughs> oh, I don't want to be Joe Kusada. Okay, so you would start with, so what does Mephisto do? <laughs> okay, so what does Mephisto do, I ask? He makes everybody forget Peter's Spider-Man. Uh-huh, so Aunt May is still in the hospital? No, 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 he saves Aunt May. But if all he does is save her life and make everyone, everyone forget he's Spidey, she still has a scar in her midsection. No, 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 he makes that go away too. Okay. Then he wakes up in her house. The house that was burned down? Right. But how? Mephisto one does that as well. 
okay, and the guys who shot at Peter and May were, and were killed, they're alive too? Mephisto can bring back bring guys back from the dead? It's all part of the spell. And Doc, Doc, Doc Strange can't tell? Nope. And the newspaper articles, news footage? Joe, it, it's been forgotten. I'm just asking, is that stuff there or not there? Not there. And Peter's web shooters are back. Is this the same spell or a different spell? Same spell. How does making people forget his Spidey bring back his web shooters? It's magic, okay? I see. And Harry's back? Right. And Mephisto does this too? Yep. So is Harry back from the dead, or has he been alive? If they ask him, hey Harry, what did you do last summer? Will you remember? And the year before? And the year before? If he says they all went up on picnic two years ago, will they remember it? It's because if he now has a life he remembers, if he's not back from the dead, then you've changed the continuity you said you didn't want to change. Those are your only options. He was brought back from the dead, and there's a grave, and people pro- remember him dying. Mephisto changes their memories too. Or he's effectively been alive as far as our characters know, so he's been alive all along. So either way, as far as our characters are concerned, continuity has been violated going back to 1971. How do you explain that? It's magic. We don't have to. Okay, everyone. Sorry about that. Um, Basically, we had some audio trouble um, as we were recording that last section. And Al and I have now gotten back together to finish this one up. And it's only like, what is it now? Like four weeks apart from when we recorded the last time. What are you talking about? This this is a all-in-one recording. <laughs> definitely, definitely. There, there, was, there were no shenanigans of any kind that d- deterred this. If anything sounds different, it's just coincidence, you know? Just So, yeah, just let's just continue kind of where we left off. Um, so, basically, yeah, it was just Joe and JMS kind of going back and forth about what exactly this magic was going to do exactly. Um, and Kusada was essentially thinking that it's magic. We don't have to explain it, but JMS thought that yes, you still have to explain it. Um, magic doesn't fix everything. It has to have rules. And so, you know, you can't just cast one spell making everybody forget that he's Spider-Man because now you're also trying to bring people back from the dead. You're trying to undo wounds. You're erasing records. You're reinstating web shooters and all these other things. So it seems very weird, weird that Kusato was like very pick and choose about what he wanted the magic to fix. As long as it wasn't, I guess, too widespread. Even though... JMS is very much like, no, there should be bigger ripples than what you're doing. But just one of those things, I guess. And so because of everything that needed fixing in issue four, there were parts of issue three that also needed updating now. And so JMS ended up rewriting everything, even though he was not kind of on board for it. And then after the rewrites, he still did not have it in a place that all the editors and Kusada wanted it to be at. Um, so instead of doing it again, he just had the editors come in, they 
fixed it to their own kind of needs and desires and in a way that it could easily blend into brand new day in a way that JMS's uh, original script and the rewrite did not do that. Um, so yeah, there was like, I guess different scenes. There was some different dialogue that wasn't in JMS's script originally. And so with all the problems, the story that was supposed to release weekly in the month of August of 2007 was delayed. Uh, So the first two issues would be released in October. The third issue would be released in November. And then the final issue would be released in December. And then that will actually take us into the one more day story itself. But kind of before we get into all of that, it's kind of important to talk about the lead up. You know, as we had previously mentioned, uh, some of this stuff was being planted during the Civil War story where Spider-Man took the side of Iron Man and unmasked himself on national TV. And as the common trope of if everyone finds out my identity, all my loved ones are in danger. This is exactly what ends up happening. And so Peter goes on to fight Tony uh, and, you know, maybe we'll talk about Civil War in a different episode. But this also puts him on a wanted list for basically going against the law, which results in him having to take MJ and Aunt May away to try and hide them away from any repercussions of everything that was going on. Um, But during this as well, Kingpin used this newfound knowledge of Peter being Spider-Man to try and assassinate Peter. Um, However, during the um, assassination, Peter is able to push MJ out of the way from the bullet. And instead, Aunt May, who was standing beside her or behind her, gets shot instead. And so this ends up putting her in a coma and on life support. And she was taken to the hospital. And this is kind of where one more day begins, which if I remember right, was actually, uh, it wasn't exactly a happens in one issue and followed up in the next issue. I think there was actually some time in between them. If I remember right, could be wrong. I think JMS was talking about how he kind of had to separate (laughs) those two events. So, first part of one more day takes place in amazing spider-man 550 oh my god i cannot talk 544 and so the issue starts with mj and peter looking over may at her bedside uh, peter is blaming himself for his decision to unmask and how none of this would happen um, if he had just kept his identity secret the doctor comes in trying to make sense of this uh quote unquote may morgan Uh, Their alias to prevent people knowing that they are there and why they have no ID or insurance. Dr. Fine informs Peter and MJ that without insurance or a hefty checkbook, May will need to be moved to the charity case ward or charity care ward. Uh, This obviously frustrates Peter and he decides that he's going to go find someone who can afford it. And as he walks out, Dr. Fine stops him. And lets Peter know that he is aware of who they really are. Spider-Man actually saved his uncle several years back. And Dr. Fine vowed 
to try and repay that to him whenever he has a chance. And this will be that time. But his ability to stall is limited. So he tells Peter that a solution has to be found quick. And so obviously the person with the checkbook that Peter knows is Tony Stark. Who, because of Civil War, they are not on speaking terms very much. And so, yeah, he goes to Stark Tower. And he breaks into the building. Uh, Tony surprises him and tackles him, um, basically flying him out of the building, only for Peter to web up his boots and causes them both to crash down on a nearby building. Tony tells Peter he's under arrest, but Peter throws a blow only for Tony to react with his uni beam. Uh, Peter's unable to really do anything, uh, but uses his newfound internal web 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 webbing and uh, shoots everything he possibly can at Tony, just totally unloading. And when he opens his eyes, Tony is strung up in a multitude of webs, unable to move. So Peter rips off Tony's mask to look him in the eye before asking him for his help with Aunt May. Uh, Even though Peter was blaming himself earlier, he's now blaming Tony for this. And Tony had promised in the past that if Peter unmasked, that nothing would happen to his family. But yet here is Aunt May lying in a hospital, probably going to die. And he is demanding Tony to not just help out, but you know, just not, not to just help out his aunt, but the friend that Aunt May used to be with Tony in general. Uh, but Tony tells Peter he can't help because if he does, then the aide comes back to him in some shape or form. And it shows that he's eating a fugitive from the law and he can be in trouble in that regard, too. So he blasts out of the webbing and flies off, telling Peter he can't and won't help. But if Peter does anything foolhardy again, he's going to arrest him. And so each of them kind of go their separate ways. Uh, Tony arrives back at his tower and pulls out an old photograph with himself, Peter, MJ, Jarvis, and Aunt May. Peter arrives back at the hospital and entertains the idea that he may have to do some criminal activity to get the money quick. Um, And he tries to argue that since he's technically already a criminal, that this wouldn't really change anything in the grand scheme of things. But it's at this moment that Jarvis stops by pretending to be May's cousin and starts to lose it at the sight of her in the hospital bed. Uh, He saves himself again as the doctor walks in and tells the doctor that he has $2 million in his account and will use every penny that is needed to assist May. And... Dr. Fine informs Peter that even with all this money, there's no chance that May is going to survive this. The only thing the money will do is make her last days as comfortable as humanly possible, which is not something Peter wanted to hear. So uh, he heads out to find someone else and says that nothing will stop him from saving her. And during this last issue, he kind of says something that, foreshadows what will happen in the later part of the arc. Uh, He says, I'll do whatever's necessary to save her life. I'll sell my soul. If I thought I could help her, I'll find a way to save aunt may. If it means storming the gates of hell itself. And that is where that first issue ends. And that's when a certain character went, but uh, not quite spidey senses, but definitely something senses. Oh no. I'm, 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 I'm picturing the alert sound that play, that plays in Metal Gear. 
Oh, <laughs> big exclamation point over his head. Yeah. <laughs> so the second issue is from Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number 24. And Spidey decides that he's going to try and get the aid of magic. So he goes to see Dr. Stephen Strange. Um, and Dr. Strange lets him in. And Spidey basically lets it all out. That he's hoping that he the m- magic will grant the miracle he needs to save his aunt. But Dr. Strange tries to convince him that if it's her time, it's her time. He argues that dying is one thing, but dying because of his mistakes is another. However, he doesn't waver and says he can't do anything. However, he uses the hands of the dead, which allows for travel across time and space. He won't allow Spider-Man to go back in time to try and save May, but he will let him reach out to other people to see if they can aid him. Doing so will save time because he can speak to everyone at once through an astral projection of sorts. And so Spider-Man does this. He speaks to everyone he possibly can from characters like Beast and Reed Richards to even villains like Dr. Doom and Dr. Octopus and hopes that even villains will understand and relate to losing a loved one. But all the answers come back the same. No. How did you feel about that? Like him going to villains and stuff? I thought that man, he is getting very desperate. Yeah. Like he, he's rock bottoming. Like he's going, he's going like with Icarus. It was, he flew too close to the sun. Peter is just, he's in space and he's just going to plummet, right? He's plummeting right down to the, to the planet core. Yeah. It's like he's grasping at every single straw he possibly can. And when one of those straws is like Dr. Doom kind of shows exactly how desperate he is. It's kind of makes you wonder like what you would be willing to do. Like what kind of hoops you would try and jump through to save someone you love. So Steven leaves to grab Spidey a drink since the use of the hands of the dead lift uh, Spidey a little woozy. However, while Steven is out, Spider-Man uses the hands to again uh, cross time back to the moment Aunt May was shot. He floats in front of the shooter and realizes immediately upon trying to hit him that he can't touch anything. Knowing that's out of the equation, he phases out of the room and tries to warn himself in the past. He sees his past self's spidey sense go off at his presence, though he can't be seen, and it's at that moment that Astral Projection Spidey is attacked by some weird creatures. Creatures that can hurt him, but he can't touch. And so he panics and phases through the room, hoping to make one last attempt at preventing the shooting, but to no avail. He witnesses the event a second time. As the creatures come through to attack him, Doctor Strange intervenes, casting off the creatures and bringing Peter to a different time where Doctor Strange wasn't in his sanctum, so he could help Peter immediately and avoid problems in the time stream. Uh, He lets him know that the creatures are called Nightwalkers, who live on the edges of time and space and prevent destiny from changing. Steven leaves in a room uh, for Peter to heal up, and Steven hears a knock at the door to go investigate. Peter hears the voices outside and recognizes it as himself, an earlier moment in his life. He tries to warn himself of what's to come, but to no avail. Dr. Strange shuns the Spidey from that time, and Spider-Man is upset. How can he be cured? But why can't Steven cure his aunt? 
He says magical cures are for magical illnesses. He tries to again reinforce in Peter's head. It's his aunt's time to go. He has to accept it. And as expected, he doesn't take it well. But Doctor Strange speaks to him as a doctor. He tells Peter that though she may be unconscious, she can still hear him. Don't let her die alone. Doctor Strange has lost a lot of loved ones and his biggest regret was not being there to tell them goodbye. If Peter wasn't there at the time she passed, telling her how he loved her, he would regret it for the rest of his life. And Peter, defeated, leaves. He sits outside on the stairs and then he hears a voice telling him about how the Nightwalkers won't allow Destiny to change unless something more powerful than them can do so. He follows the voice to find a little girl who tells him that she is capable of doing just that. And that is where issue two ends. Now, I think when you were reading this, Alan, you, I think you brought up the little girl, if I remember right. You were like, is this who I think it is? Did it end up turning out to be who you thought it was? I thought this person was a key figure, like a, 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 poss- a, po- a possibility of something that gets changed, gets wiped. Mm. There are multiple different uh, strangers like this little girl. There's a, there's a wealthy businessman. And I assumed that those I assume that those two were tied together. Mm-hmm. And I thought, did this person, this person, is that their kid? Yeah. Issue three, it's not like a one for one comparison, but it reminded me, it reminded me a lot of like uh, a Christmas carol. Like Peter yeah, kind of yeah. going through these different stages of like what yeah, appears yeah. to be like past and present people in all this. Um, yes, yeah, his, his kind of ghosts. <laughs> and so that those were like the vibes I was getting. Yeah, let's just get into it so we can kind of talk about <laughs> who these people are and whatnot. So issue three is from the sensational Spider-Man number 41. And so this little girl tells Spidey that it's time someone helps him. And if he wants this to happen, he needs to decide on it quick because time is running out for him, the girl, and especially his aunt. Peter's confused why a little girl is walking around at night in the rain, and she tells him that her parents cut her slack because she's smart like her dad. However, she would rather take after her beautiful mom. She gets upset because she may never grow up and starts blaming Peter for being selfish and putting himself in the center of the universe all the time, which I think is kind of already hinting at exactly what her relation is to to everybody. So she gets frustrated and stomps off saying she is just meant to take her to the next destination. Um, As he rushes after her, she disappears. Instead, he finds a middle-aged man sitting on a bench and talking about how he's into the software design for video games and whatnot. He talks about how the world around him doesn't allow for heroes um, to be people of importance anymore, like you are, um, like you were promised when you were younger. And so the way he gets past that is to play games or read books There, he can be anything, he can do anything, Um, but if he had powers, he would be incredibly happy and grateful for something that makes him stand out from the rest of the world, which I think kind of echoes how a lot of people feel. So from there, Peter gets up and starts to leave as another man pulls up in a car and offers him a ride. Um, Peter, you know, 
for whatever reason is totally cool with just hopping in cars with strangers. I guess since he's Spider-Man, he feels he could kind of defend himself and did he need be. Um, so he gets in and the man talks about how rich he is and how he got there with some drive from being picked on for being the smart kid in school. When he was 19, his inventions led to 30 patents and he became a millionaire. And that wealth grew year over year. And the people who bullied him now worked for him and they hated him for that, which at least to him felt like a valid reason. They pull over and start walking. However, all that money didn't make him happy. There was a woman he knew in high school who he loved. She was everything he wanted, but he lost her. He lives the rich man's life now. Penthouse, he owns everything he could want. He has a dozen women, woman, he has a dozen women on speed dial who will make sure his night isn't left lonely, but he would give it all away for that one woman he knew in high school. Okay, um, this this part, I, I instantly got taken back to when I first watched Small Rats and the Stan Lee speech to Brody. Oh. <laughs> and I, was just, I just couldn't get it out of my head when I was reading, when I got to this, era, this part. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think, like, was it really, I'm trying to remember, was MJ the one he was really crazy about in high school? Wasn't that Gwen Stacy? Yeah, yeah, that would be yeah, that Gwen Stacy. Hmm. I guess technically Gwen would have been alive had he not become Spider-Man, more than likely, so at the same time, I don't really know. I guess I should probably read more up on, like, young Spider-Man. And see if, like, there was a point in which Gwen was like, mm, okay, I guess I'll date you, Peter. <laughs> I can't remember if she was interested in him, like, back when he was a nerd in high school or whatever, or if that was something that came later. Yeah. He basically tells Peter that this is the end of the line and to keep walking. As Peter turns around, the man is gone. Um, he's now greeted by a woman in red. She tells him about everything we know could be a dream and how some cultures believe that dreams lead to alternate lives and futures. In fact, those people Peter just spoke to came from those alternate lives and futures. She tells him about one little change could affect everything. His being bit by a spider led to him where he is now. But what if someone distracted Peter when the spider descended towards him? It would land on the floor, be squished. That would lead to Peter possibly becoming a recluse after being picked on and becoming obsessed with video games, fight, excuse me, uh, finding worlds that he can control versus the one he feels he can't. Another, he uses the anger in a creative fashion and becomes a billionaire by the time he's 30. Which, I mean, uh, did you uh, read uh, the amazing, like the all new, all different amazing Spider-Man? I don't like know. after, after secret wars in 2015. I mean, I read everything out of order, so I don't know what came. Was that when he did like Spider-Man Incorporated and all that? Yeah, where he was basically just he was another he was like a lower tier Iron Man. Mm-hmm. But still had like millions of dollars. Had all these reformed hero or reformed villains working for him. Mm-hmm. I wonder if um, part of me wonders if. Like well, that the little seed of what he could have been ends up being discussed, like 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 what Jeff Johns does with the DC old DC continuity. Yeah, I don't know. Have you been keeping up with Spider-Man comics? I I wish. There's something I'm going to bring up later because apparently they 
I'll, I'll save it. They kind of bring something up in, I guess, current day books with Nick Spencer writing. Um, it's not quite that, but you'll see when we when I bring it up <laughs> what I'm talking about here. Um, but yeah, I kind of like the idea of like Peter getting to look in a mirror and see like different ver- like a funhouse mirror and just see like what he would be if he just kind of looked at his life a little differently. And, you know, you brought up Spider-Man Incorporated and how rich he was. And that was always one of the things where Peter was always portrayed as being this incredibly brilliant mind who could invent so many things and him being this like just dude. (laughs) Also in, in the, in that version of, or in that iteration of, in the or or era of Spider-Man, he didn't have MJ, mm-hmm. which lends even more credence to that alternate future. Yep, it's like <laughs> he still found a way to get there, even with being Spider-Man. But it was like he finally was able to use that intelligence of his to make his life financially better, at least. Actually, you know what? C- considering that. Uh, Joe Casada was was he C- CCO or EIC at 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 the time of Spider Man Incorporated? Oh, at, at the time of Spider Man Incorporated, I would say CCO. I could be wrong there though, because I wouldn't be surprised if, like, after Hickman cleaned up all like tied up all loose ends of Secret Wars. And like the multiverse, he ends up, or Casada ends up thinking thinking back to this, and like, hey, didn't we have like we had a alternate future of Spider Man where he was a Tony Stark esque figure, but still Spider Man? Yeah, I don't know. That would be interesting to see, like, if all of this kind of is what inspired what ended up happening, what, 10 years later? Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, Peter is done with this conversation with this woman, um, but she ends up revealing that she is Mephisto. Um, He promises that he has the power to make the change necessary to save his aunt, but he won't do it for Peter's soul because he doesn't find it fun that people can suffer with dignity in the afterlife for helping someone else. Instead, he prefers misery. So he offers Peter the chance. Did he really mean he could do anything or he would do anything to save his aunt? Peter says he can't make this this decision alone. Mephisto knows that and directs Peter to a hotel room. In that room, Mephisto is making the same pitch to Mary Jane. When they ask for what he really wants, he says the following. What I want is greater than one paltry soul can provide me. What I want is the one thing in the universe that is truly greater than the sum of its parts and tastier than any single soul I could devour. I want that which gives you joy, that which sustains you in the moments of greatest despair. The source, not of your power, but of your strength, your happiness, your dreams, and your passion. I want your love. I want your marriage. Peter starts telling off Mephisto, but Mary Jane tells him to wait 
and allow Mephisto to finish his terms. Mephisto will give them one more day to make the decision. If this goes through, they will forget the bargain. They will forget the moment. Even parts of what led up to this moment. But they will have it locked away in their soul knowing something is amiss. That's where Mephisto will get his joy. That unknown screaming to be heard. By midnight the following day, Peter will either lose his marriage or lose his aunt. The decision is theirs. And that is where the third issue ends. Which I think for the most part, that kind of... I kind of like how it left off there. Like, it seems very dramatic. I mean, not like like how this is all being done, but like in terms of drama, I kind of like how that issue ended in particular. And so we get to The Amazing Spider-Man 545, which is where this whole arc ends. Peter wakes up in bed and sees Mary Jane standing in the bathroom. She is struggling to process everything, and she asks Peter a question. May has had a long life. Can't he just let her go? And Peter says kind of what he's told everyone else to this point. It's... If this was a normal death, that would be one thing. But the bullet meant for him is what killed her. He holds himself responsible, and if she dies, he couldn't live with himself. Which puts MJ in a position that if she allows May to die, then it's her fault that May die. And it broke Spider-Man mentally. He promised her that if they make the decision together, he would handle it better. And so they hold each other for a very long time. <laughs> They spend their last moments together in a warm embrace and silence. Mary Jane says, I remember all of it, every little detail. And no matter what that monster does, nothing will ever take that away from me. And now I want you to remember that for what I'm going to bring up in the random trivia section. Something I will. Oh, sorry, what was that? Not nah, I was joking, saying, I will remember. And when we get to that, I'd say, wait, wait, wait what? <laughs> what the hell are you talking that? about? <laughs> Yeah, just a little telltale sign. <laughs> Suddenly, Mephisto shows up. And Peter wants a little more explanation of what happens. Mephisto explains that they never got married. Period. Their lifetime doesn't change. Just that one little moment. But before he can explain, Midnight creeps up and the decision has to be made. MJ tells him that there are things that still won't work because Peter's identity is still known and something similar can happen. Mephisto explains. Their love is special. Something unlike any other love in the universe. He is willing to let everyone forget if it means he gets the joy of eating that misery. And Peter thinks about it, but MJ instead says yes. However, she has another stipulation. She wants Peter to be truly happy. And Mephisto is unsure about that, but MJ whispers something to Mephisto. Again, wait for the random trivia section. And as time ticks away, Mephisto only has one agreed decision. Peter agrees with MJ saying it'll be okay. Magic starts swirling about. And while it happens, Mephisto is surprised he didn't ask about the little girl. Because she was also another possibility. A possibility of what could have been with MJ and Peter. She could have been their little girl years later. Which hits MJ and Peter hard. However, in these last moments, MJ looks Peter in the eye and tells him that they will find each other again. They share their love with one another and share one last kiss. We see a double page spread of their relationship. 
riding a bike, kissing, swing through the city of Spider-Man, their marriage, and they their last kiss fades into black. And then Peter wakes up. He has slept past his alarm, and he runs downstairs and kisses his Aunt May on the cheek while grabbing a hot pancake and heads out the door. He is supposed to be at a big welcome home surprise party. He heads off and meets up with Flash Thompson in an apartment. Peter catches MJ out of the corner of his eye and Flash mentions, yikes, awkward. Things still frosty with MJ, huh? Apparently Peter did something she may not forgive. Suddenly the guest of honor has arrived, Harry Osborne. Harry brings in Lily Hollister and Carly Cooper, both of whom now meet Peter. However, it's MJ leaving that catches Peter's eye. Harry and Peter share a drink together of a toast to a brand new day. And that is how one more day ends. And so now that we kind of have the story, I want to get your opinion, Alan, because this was the first time you had read it. So what was your overall feelings on one more day? I didn't. If I had to do like a pro pro and con list, there'd be more cons than pro. Like the way Peter acts, the the art for the book, which have I been have I at all been? pleased with the Marvel stuff, like the art for the Marvel stuff you've done. <laughs> because I, I don't feel, I don't feel like I have. Yeah. This, like you saw this art, especially with the Spider-Man one is kind of hit or miss for me. Like for the most part, I like his Spider-Man, like how he does Spider-Man. But I think I mentioned, I don't remember if I mentioned this on the podcast last time, or if I just mentioned this in passing to you in the chat or whatever. I think, his people sometimes look like they have tumors growing out of their face and stuff. Yes. yes. Like just kind of like super exaggerated bubbles on their like chins or their foreheads look bigger than they should be. Or, you know, whatever his style is, just something about the way he draws people kind of bugs me in a way that I don't really like. I mean, I'm like, Peter, you should not be looking like Popeye. Like, (laughs) why is your chin like, Sticking out like you're chewing tobacco or something there. Yeah, like, I mean, I obviously have a thing where I against comics in the 90s. Based, basically just the the Rob Liefeld era. Mm-hmm. Mainly because I'm still stuck. I, I don't know how in the Gil Kane era. <laughs> like, I want I, want, I still want comics to look like Gil Kane, like, like Gil Kane Jerome. And Salvas Basema or Bashima, uh, John Ramita uh, Senior. But the, did you ever read um, Dan DiDio's Omac run that only lasted eight issues? Yeah, I thought it was really good. That was the first time, like I, ne- that was my first my jumping on point with ongoing DC stuff because, like I previously, as I mentioned on the first episode of this of this podcast, I mean, every time I would read a DC book, it'd be either a trade or an event that I had no context of. Mm-hmm. With New 52, I was reading virtually everything. And Scott Koblish, his art evoked Jack Kirby in many ways. And I think it's just one of those things where um, same thing with uh, Francis Manipole. Mm-hmm. Like you re- you you look at a, an artist's work and you just want to see more of wh- whatever that artist can do. 
like uh, same with uh, Nick Darrington, who, who um, he did the Young Animal uh, Doom Patrol book. Oh. And he also did uh, Batman Universe. And like I've, I've recently been reading uh, Batman Universe, and that book is just a pleasure to look at. <laughs> but then like when I was back in 2015, when I was reading um, Secret Wars, Aesop Ribic. And then, then like a couple a few years ago when I was reading or when War of the Realms was happening, Russell Dowderman. Like I, I had no context for War of the Realms, but that art. Sometimes that's all you need. I mean, that's basically how I got into some of the Marvel stuff is like, I don't know why Hulk is on a different planet, but it looks cool. So I'm just going <laughs> to go pick it up and see and just kind of run with it. So art is definitely, you know, super important to what catches my eye. Whereas something like Superman, who I've loved my entire life, that Gil Simone and John Byrne arc that they did in action comics around the time of uh, Infinite Crisis. I had a real hard time wanting to pick that book up because I was not a fan of John's art at that point. Uh, at that later stage? Yeah. Yeah, I love hey, Gil Simone. West, West loved Coast I loved what Infinite Crisis was all doing, but John's art, you know, I was like, man, why am I reading this book? I can't I can't even focus on the story because I hate the art so much. Yeah, I mean, uh, Gil Simone brought one of my favorite characters uh, back like a what seemed like five years five five years ago no yeah i think five years ago um uh, and the second volume of secret six when she brought back ralph dibney oh she brought him back i still haven't read that secret six run yeah so like their, uh, rebirth oh no it was actually like right before, it was dcu oh okay so yeah it was, like, right, it was like it was it ended right as rebirth began mm. and this whole time, like leader, Mr. Big shot, as they called him throughout, like throughout the story, you're wondering who is this guy? And then there, there Sue did Sue did me. She's alive. I don't know how, but I don't know how, I don't, I don't know how doc, but she's alive. <laughs> and suddenly Mr. Big shot, who is a hulking, like a hulking figure, suddenly turns into Ralph Dibney and I just, I lost it. <laughs> John Byrne reinvented Superman, reinvented Lex Luthor, pretty much saved Superman until they killed him. And Joe Quesada, along with Jimmy Palmiotti, saved Marvel Comics mm-hmm. with, with Marvel Knights. So while there's well, there there will always be something like about an artist. I won't like like most of that. A lot of times, I won't, won't like an artist's style. I'm blanking on his name. Uh, he did him and Bendis worked work frequent collaborators. Mark Bagley, um, Maleev, something, something, uh, Al, Alex Maleev or Alexis. Oh, Maleev. okay, yeah. Uh, I I can't get into his art. Uh, same with, oh man, I really wish I, I named all these artists, and yet I can't remember the. 
basically, if I can't find something I can like about the art style, I can find something I can I can find something I'll like about the artist, whether it's something they did or the type of person they they are, like Liam Sharp. And I'm not just saying that because he follows me on Twitter. <laughs> I'm always or I'm constantly just praising his work. He does good work. I still need to finish that Green Lantern season two. It's, it's so good. When it comes to uh, the whole moral, like whole conundrum about what will happen to AMA, the 2018 Spider-Man game handled that in a great way, considering it's technically Peter's fault for, should, should I, can I spoil the game? It's been out three years. Yeah, it's been out three years, I'm sure. So, since Peter is responsible, ultimately, for Doc Ock, um, like his working for him and refining his tech leads to the Sinister Six, their takeover of New York with the, or New York City with the prisoners from the raft. Mm-hmm. At the end of the game, when M.A. is among those who have been infected with the the toxin that was being used or spread across the city. I was expecting uh, like a choice to either save MA or s- save everyone else. I was expecting the same thing. <laughs> and like he, like this, the, the moment where he's, he's holding the syringe or where he holds the cure in his hands. And she just says, she what she says to him, take off that the mask. I want to see my nephew. Mm-hmm. And he, he's like, they didn't do the they didn't do the obviously they didn't do the Civil, Civil War storyline. <laughs> like they didn't they didn't have that carry through in uh, Spider Man the first Spider Man game. And he's, and like the whole, uh, how long have you known? And she she just goes the the, the entire time. But I can see where, what the whole point of the, of, I can see where the storyline gets its what the, what the t- message is is about not wanting to let go, whereas Spider Man twenty eighteen is about letting go. Yeah, I think part of what helps with twenty eighteen is that Aunt May was actually verbal with it all too, like getting yeah. her acceptance that she can pass on, whereas here she's comatose. <laughs> And so she can't like talk it through with Peter about it being okay for him to just move on and, you know, everything will be fine with her gone and all that. And so, you know, one small change as to how it's played out could drastically change, you know, the result of the story essentially. And also MA's death brought Peter and MJ together again in the game and in her final moments or as she transcended to the ethereal plane, she, her last act was to bring them back together. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mephisto broke them apart. Yeah. I think one more day is one of those stories where I can see why everyone hates it. I don't know if I hate it as much as everybody else. I don't particularly like how Peter is portrayed. I don't agree with Kusada 
and many other people about Peter needing to be single. Um, but there's something about the idea of like, what will you do to try and bring someone you care about back or to save somebody? And I think most of us can probably put ourselves in that situation. And I think that's kind of why I appreciate the story in a way. Cause I like to put myself in the shoes of Peter and like, okay, if I had what Peter has at his disposal, if I had a dude who could buy out the hospital that, you know, the person I'm worried about is staying in. If I have someone who could traverse different realms of reality and, (laughs) you know, use magic like it was nothing. And if I had all these different avenues at my disposal, would I just sit back and let my, the person I care about just slip away or would I try and do something about it? And I don't, I don't know if I would go about this way, but it gives me enough like pause to reflect on kind of my own opinions on what I would do. Yeah. Like I have a loved one who is, we, we don't know. Like, we don't know when they're, we know the time is running out, but we don't know when, when it will literally run out. Mm-hmm. And the way I see, the way I got, like, this isn't one of the, the like type of thing where, like, my grandfather, uh, when he, he passed, uh, he was in hospice for a, a, a few days. And basically, I love one. I just want the whole thing to be over. So I no longer have to think of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Between the first part of this episode we recorded and us recording now, I think both of us have kind of been put into this very situation. You know, my grandpa uh, three weeks ago was put in a hospice and we were able to make it down to see him one last time. And he ended up passing away the day after we left down there. Um, and I hadn't seen him in seven years um, just because, you know, grow up and life gets in the way and he's not, you know, my grandparents live five hours away. So it's not one of those things where I'm just like, hey, let's get up and go see my grandparents today or whatever. Um, and like you mentioned, your grandma's in the same situation right now. And yeah, um, she ha- like honestly, she, my grandfather passed away about six years ago, and she's she started getting like the way she is, at least uh, men, me- medically. Ever since ever since then, like slowly day by day, she's drift, drifting away, and as I mentioned to Josh before we started recording. I haven't made any videos for for the ch- for the channel. I haven't. I I typed up a my part of a, of one of the roundtables, and I still need to write do some more writing. But I basically for about uh, two weeks I haven't. I've just been trying to find a way to move forward and move on. And the last time I saw my 
last time I saw my grandparents back when they were still them was maybe 10 to 13 years ago. And I just, I just want to get over it. Yeah. And, and that's part of what sucks so much is that like, you want to remember like the good times you, when they're in the condition that they can get into, um, you don't want to see them cause that's not, that's not how you want to re- remember them. And you kind of put yourself in a predicament because you want to be there for them. You want to let them know that it's going to be okay, that you love them. Kind of, you know, kind of what Dr. Strange tells Spider-Man that like, maybe they don't appear to be there for you, but there's a good chance that they are. Just let them know that's okay. Let them know that you love them. Let their final moments be with people that you love. And on the flip side, as the people that they love, you don't, you're seeing a part of them that you wish you'd never have to see. And that's part of the image that's going to be burned in your brain, you know, for the rest of your life. And it sucks. It sucks that you have to remember the bad with the good. Um, yeah. Like uh, my other grandfather, who my father's father, uh, who I share a name with. Mm-hmm. It was 2005 in Blakely, Georgia. And last, I, as you mentioned, like stuff burned into your brain. The last thing I remember was seeing him with a, the t- a tube in his mouth, keeping him going. And I don't think I'll ever be able to unsee that mm-hmm. or get it out of my memory. Maybe if I somehow lose my memories, which could be a whole nother problem. Yeah. Itself. But I mean, yeah, you know, I had, I have a very similar memory with my grandma back when I was in high school, uh, when her cancer and cystic fibrosis kind of got the best of her seeing her bedridden, unable to move. Um, you know, my dad, when he passed away in 2014, um, I basically was there when he took his last breaths. Um, it, it's life. It sucks. And I hate that all of us have to experience it at one time or another, but all we can do is support each other when that happens and love each other and love the people who have been a part of our lives and be there for them. And it's like, it's, it's that kind of stuff that makes me want to appreciate one more day because it makes me think of like all of this, like think of the people that I've lost and that fleeting moment in my head where I'm like, would I give up everything to save them? (laughs) You know, it's, it sucks. Alan, it sucks. So uh, let's just move on at this yeah, point. Yeah, enough, enough uh, moping. Let's move. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to also bring up one moment in time. Um, basically, what ended up happening was Kusada would follow up one more day in 2010, uh, three years later, when he would write one moment in time. And in it, he wanted to illuminate what the one change by Mephisto actually was that resulted in the marriage being lost. And so in it, Spider-Man stops Electro and his gang. However, Mephisto, who is a pigeon, 
uh, lets one of the gang members out, causing Spider-Man to go after him. It results in both falling from a building with Spider-Man taking the brunt of the impact, causing him to go unconscious, which leads him to missing the wedding. Um, MJ knows why he missed the wedding, and the only way she will agree to try again is if he gives up being Spider-Man. He declines. Um, She leaves him, though her Aunt Anna is able to convince her to get back together with him. Just no marriage. Uh, However, she stays with him all the way through Civil War, which still ends up happening. Uh, There, Aunt May still gets shot after Peter unmasks, but Peter performs CPR, which is able to resuscitate her and keep her alive. I'm sure if it was that easy, Peter probably would have done that in the main timeline as well, but (laughs) I guess not. Uh, So Wilson Fisk is then informed of May's survival, by a disguised Mephisto, no less, and he decides to take Anna Watson now. Uh, Mary Jane is able to stop the assassin, who we find out is the same gang member from Electro's gang that Spider-Man saved to miss the wedding, Uh, but she is injured during the whole thing. Doctor Strange is able to save Mary Jane, and Peter tells him that he wants everyone to forget he is Spider-Man. After some discussions with Tony Stark and Reed Richards, They perform the magic to make it happen. However, it would also result in Mary Jane forgetting as well. However, when the time comes, Spider-Man pulls Mary Jane into the safe spell zone so she will remember too, though she wishes that he would let her forget. She is fearful of everything happening again if his identity is found out, and she doesn't want to be with him because of it. And so that is Husada's way of writing the wedding out. to random trivia and some interesting stuff here with this story so i think i mentioned this previously but there is one other major change that Kusada and jms were really hoping to have accomplished with one more day and that was bringing back gwen stacy however the debate between them and other creators would ultimately keep her dead um it does seem a little weird that gwen bring that gwen being brought back was okay in Kusada's book despite being against changes that would have made other stories in Spider-Man's history moot uh, for someone who only wanted one specific change because he was afraid of changing too much. Bring back Gwen Stacy kind of <laughs> starts a whole nother sort of unraveling in Spider-Man's history. Um, this may have been a late game change because at wizard world Philadelphia in 20 or 2007, Kusada mentions that Gwen may come back post one more day, but then they quickly kind of move on after him and Jim McCann, who is PR have a quick, like quiet chat after he dropped that comment. And so at least the year of them planning on writing the book, they were still planning on bringing back Gwen Stacy. So Um, despite being widely panned by critics and fans alike, none of the four issues sold less than 100,000 copies when they released, which, you know, for such a hated book, it had quite a bit of sales. And so I feel like sometimes that's what ends up happening. (laughs) Uh, so the fourth issue has a number of credits not shown on the prior issues. 
um, JMS was okay with the credits being changed because Tom Bravort and Axel Alonso had to make all the changes to the script. Um, as we previously mentioned, also the final nine pages that brought about brand new day were all Kusada. So he could easily flow into the brand new day story. JMS thought his input was so low on issue four, his name should have been removed entirely, but since he was involved in the book, Kusada convinced him to be co-credited. This makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like Brevoort and Axel Alonso making changes because, um, I was watching a comic pop uh, video, like one of back issues on the, uh, do you remember the end imprint that they, that they had for a little bit? Mm-hmm. Like when they got Stan Lee to write the final or, or not, not the, uh, the end or fantastic for the end, because that was Alan Davis. Yeah. But when they got him to do the, the final, the other finals, <laughs> it's <not> funny. <laughs> Two, two finales for one book. Um, one, I didn't know that this it was going on during the time that uh, Stanley sued Marvel, which kind of shows how where where I was at that point in time. And uh, Brevoort, the end imprint, his idea. Um, most of the like the story of. Like he was the filter for most of what Stan thought of. Hmm. Like he, like he was the he was acting as the as the editor. So I'm just I'm I'm I, I'm not shocked. Yeah, I feel like Bravor had a lot of power around around this time. Like even as someone who wasn't like trying to always stay on top of everything, I feel like his name was coming up a lot back then. So yeah, uh, I I brought up before. I think I think I have. The Avengers, um, like that little four issue mini that Mark Wade and Barry Kitson did. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, 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 I fan by brought up, like they said, they joked saying, did they do this because Tom Brevoort just like, just got real emotional. Like I need this. <laughs> like do this for me. So part of One More Day was Kusada finally getting his wish that he could break up the marriage between Peter and MJ. And I'm completely against that, but um, this was kind of his whole thought process on the whole thing. So Kusada didn't want to simply divorce the two because he was worried that parents would have to explain why married couples would want a divorce. Alongside that, he hated the idea that either character would simply give up on their marriage through means of a divorce. Though with Spidey being relatable, you would think that going the relatable route is more in character than making a deal with a proverbial devil. Um, He also didn't want to kill MJ because he feels Spidey has too many deaths on his plate as it is, which isn't necessarily wrong. And Kusana actually feels like those deaths make the books worse. If anything, in fact, much of his points seem to contradict each other. When asked about the ultimate Spider-Man fulfilling the single part, the single Peter route, he says that it shouldn't cut away from the main universe doing the same. But at the same time, if people want to marry Spider-Man with kids, they have Spider-Girl they can read. So I guess the main universe shouldn't have that. 
Kusana likes to like reiterate that Peter did not summon Mephisto. Instead, Mephisto sought out Peter. And the only reason it went through is because Peter was at the end of his rope. And even then, it was MJ who pushed for the deal to go through, not Peter. In his eyes, this saves Peter's character in a way because he was willing to lose something of great importance to, of great importance to him to save a life. Uh, when asked about his feelings on One More Day, and specifically the marriage, Spider-Man co-creator Stan Lee said the following. I'm not going to do my Stan Lee impression. It's terrible. I don't have as much time to read the comics as I used to, but I do know that I do know what they're doing with Spider-Man, Stan said. He explained that Joe Cusato was an extremely talented, thoughtful guy and that he had good reasons for his decision. If for some reason the sales slump, then they'll bring her back, he explained. When you're an editor of a comics company, you're like God. You can kill people, you can bring them back. People wonder why I have such an ego. That's why. <laughs> he also wrote the afterword in the trade as well. In it, he basically congratulates the bullpen for taking a huge chance on the story. Sure, it may have angered fans, but sometimes you have to take chances to tell stories even if they don't always hit. So for that, he thinks that what they did was amazing and left open so many potential stories to keep everything interesting down the road. Which... Like, as I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, when I was talking about that Donny Cates stuff, but uh, killing off uh, Lockjaw mm -hmm. and that that whole story with uh, Black Bolt, everyone but Jason Aaron crying out, no, you can't do this, you can't do this. And Jason Aaron just being just observing and saying, yeah, the way you're reacting, that's why we should do it. Mm hmm. <laughs> Also, I really wish Stan would have ended his quote with enough said. It would have been perfect. <laughs> Excelsior, true believer. So, as I mentioned, uh, the final two things I have in the random trivia are things that happened in the story that may come back later. So, Mary Jane whispers something to Mephisto that wouldn't be shown until one moment in time. She says that Mephisto has to agree to leave Peter alone after the deal is done, which he agrees to. However, the original moment in One More Day has looped text sitting on top of each other. It says, you will make me remember everything. Clearly, the team at the time was adamant MJ forgot all of this too, but that leads into our last part. Following up on all that. Nick Spencer apparently is recently retconning one more day in a way and seems to be going further into it. And so I can't remember when I started writing these notes. I think maybe April or so. So I don't know how much more has changed since then. But the pre one more day Harry Osborne seems to have been resurrected from hell as a character named Kindred. In Amazing Spider-Man 55, MJ mentions that she remembers everything and Peter doesn't. This seemingly puts everything post One More Day in a new perspective from MJ's viewpoint, as I'm sure this is torturous for her in particular, knowing everything that came before the whole Mephisto deal. And then apparently Doctor Strange um, has a look inside of Peter at one point and recognizes Mephisto's doing with something. He doesn't know what exactly. And so when I was writing these notes, Dr. Strange was actually leaving to confront Mephisto to find out exactly what was happening. 
And so based on what I can tell, Nick Spencer is bringing one more day back to like something current. And I don't know if he is going to retcon it. I don't know if he's going to have the men get married again, but he has found a way to bridge one more day and brand new day in a way that I am absolutely eager to see where it goes. I mean, they're they're going to go for the big wedding issue for issue sixty nine. <laughs> they might. Yeah. I, I, I had to. I had to. I had to go for it. <laughs> I took. I saw the low hanging fruit. I took it. <laughs> but God, if they're actually going to retcon one more day, I I want to see how that plays through. I think yeah, the I think idea actually, of having someone I from think... the past of like the pre timeline or whatever come back, especially like a resurrected Harry Osborne. Oh, I'm so I want to I want his run to finish so I can read it. <laughs> Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches seeds just like guys. Look out. Here comes well, that's, the Spider-Man. That's basically all I have for one more day. I know people hate it. I'm kind of hate love that book. Yeah, I figured it was kind of a good jumping on point for our first episode for season two of Hypertime. Yeah, that's basically all I have for one more day. And so I will kind of get into our outro. And so, yes, if you enjoyed hearing all of us uh, talk about one more day or if you've listened to any past episodes and you like it, please spread the word uh, rate review uh, wherever you listen to the podcast on, um, share the podcast with friends, forums, Twitter, whatever. That is how we will grow. Um, don't forget that Hypertime Podcast has a Twitter at HypertimePod. Um, if you have any questions or topic suggestions, you can send me a DM there. Or you can email us at Hypertime, the number two podcast at gmail.com. Um, Hypertime is part of VGU.TV, so check out our other content there, um, whether it's the website VGU.TV or our VGU Twitter at VGU underscore TV. We have other podcasts at play with Players Club Podcast and Win, and we also have the YouTube channel as well, VGU TV. Is VGU TV, right? I, why do I never put this stuff down? Yeah, I guess we, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, uh, VG, it's just search VG TV. Well, search VG TV and look for the one with an egregious amount of videos. <laughs> that, that's us. Yeah. So unless something happens between now when we're recording on July 16th and when this episode releases in September, we should still have content coming through pretty regularly like on a practically daily basis. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, my personal Twitter at jmillie99. That's J-M-I-L-L-E-9-9. And Alan, where all would you like to promote your stuff? Uh, you can see my tweets or my my the things I choose to retweet at the Alamir. That's A-L-D-A-L-O-A-N-M-U-R-R. And do you have a, uh, I guess, tweet or retweet of my week? 
Yes, actually, I do, and it's pre- it's pretty on brand. At least my at least for my brand, that is. <laughs> and it's one. It's just I t- tweeted this like three hours ago. Uh, should I try and track, track down a copy? Uh, should I track try and track down a copy of Ghost Babel? <laughs> and that and I can answer that question. The answer is fuck no, because I cannot. I, I I'm I'm not paying that much for a Game Boy Color game. <laughs> I guess you might just have to emulate it. Oh, I can't do that, brother. No, never. They'll throw me in the lockup. <laughs> I am perfectly okay with emulation if you can't buy that stuff anywhere else. Legit. That is my own personal take on emulation. Yeah, but if I mean the only thing I would try if I had the if I had the chance to emulate anything, I would try to emulate like if I could download a like a I don't know if it is possible. Track down a ROM of a game genie <laughs> or a ROM genie, that would be pretty killer. Well, not to uh, suggest this, but um, if by chance there was a site out there uh, called Vim's Lair, you might uh, check that out just in case something like that existed there. I'm not sure. Uh... <laughs> Tell me more after we are not, or when we are not recording, so I don't get in trouble with the law. I, I don't do want to get in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble with Big, big Nintendo. <laughs> big Nintendo coming for you. Send out Pikachu. With that, we will bid you adieu. We will see you further down the hyper time. Take care. This has been a VGU.TV production. For all of the hottest hot takes and other opinions on video games, music, and a lot more, tune in to VGU.TV.